Benvenuti listeners and welcome back to the Anglo-Italian Connection Football Podcast. Once again, it's Tommaso Adami and you can find us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod. And as always, I'm Rory Criscuolo. You can find us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. Tommy, we are finally in the same room together. It, it feels weird if I... Look, if I we're, touch! We're, Whoa. we're touching fingers, just like the ET. Yeah, this is incredible. <laughs> this is the, I think since the end of October, this is the first episode we're having face-to-face. So two months, three months? Yeah. My math isn't great. Yeah, the recording is probably going to take one hour. The mic setup and all the sound setup <laughs> probably took two hours. We're still trying to figure that out. But Rory, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Um, all of a sudden, life is a little bit rosier. We're going to come on to why, I'm sure. But... For some reason, my mood has been um, better the last two weeks, so that's good. It's good to be back in the same room, um, recording in the studio. And I think it's a good time as ever now to take a look back on the year with this pod. Right? Exactly. I mean, we're at the end of one of the toughest years we've ever faced in our lifetime that has, however, come with a lot of a lot of positives, right? Exactly. I think the biggest positive for me this year from 2020 is... And starting this podcast with you and kind of seeing a little bit of progress. And for me, the best part of it so far has been, from a geeky point of view, it has been getting Liam on from Football Manager Means. I really enjoyed that episode. I love being able to geek out and get into the minutiae of that game. That was a real highlight for me. And of course, get an excuse to talk to my friends about football is always great. Is there any moments that stuck out for you, Tommy, as like the best parts? I mean, it's been just looking at the progress we've made. I think that's, mm-hmm. I think every time we open that website where we have our stats and the number of yeah. downloads, that's the new highlight every day because I see that more and more people listen. We've got listeners in Brazil. We've never mentioned Whoa, that. Yeah. yeah. So for a football podcast to have listeners in Brazil, I think that's, that's pretty sweet. But um, no, besides that, I think the, the last episode, the Christmas special that we did... That was a fun one. It was a fun one. It was a fun one because it was also all those Zoom rooms with plenty of people. It was with people that don't know each other. It really felt this, like a pub, yeah. kind of, yeah. This is it, exactly. I loved, like, I think I said it to one of my mates afterwards, I loved that it was quite random collections of people all together from, like, different parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And then they're all together in a room just able to talk about football anyway. And, like... I think everybody chose to stay on and watch the rest of the people talk and kind of get involved when we weren't recording. I think it was a really good vibe and it's part of one of the main things that I love about football is that anybody from anywhere start a conversation and you'll have something to talk about for half an hour at least, right? Absolutely. That really really showed up. Absolutely. And so this is our last episode for 2020 and it's going to be an occasion to give our long-awaited Anglo-Italian Pod Awards, correct? Exactly. So step aside Ballon d'Or, step aside Football Writers Association Awards. This is what they're all looking for. It's the big one. It's the Anglo-Italian Pod first inaugural Anglo-Italian Pod Awards of the year. Oh my God, Cristiano Ronaldo must be there. Like, oh my God, there is an opportunity for another trophy. Yeah, he wants it. You know he wants it. He's not going to say no to it, is he? So we're going to give awards for different categories. We're going to have best team, best player, best manager, best signing, best goal, but also funny stuff, like the funniest moment, both in the Serie A and in the Premier League. Exactly. So for both of these, we're going to be looking at Serie A, best team, best player, and then Premier League, best team, best player. And we'll be discussing it and deciding together. I'm looking forward to looking back at some of the stupider moments of 2020 in football as well. Um, yeah, I think with 2020 being such an awful year, we need to take an opportunity to remember that some funny 
things did happen and some nice things did happen. And this is a good opportunity to do that, so why not? Exactly, but before that, we're going to have a different version of our infamous quiz time lineup. So it's a time lineup, once again, but only about 2020. Rory is going to test me first, and at the end of the show, I'm going to test him. Are your questions hard, Rory? Um, that's for you to find out. I, I think they're okay, but we've seen that in the past, my judgment isn't always yeah, our judgment, spot on, eh? Our judgments are not always the same. But so, the first part of our show is going to be Rory's quiz, then we're just going to jump to last night's roundup. There were quite a few interesting games, and then our awards, and finally, the second part of the quiz. Rory, are you ready? I am definitely ready. Let's go. Welcome to part one of Timeline Up in our 2020 year wrap-up special. And to begin, I, myself, Rory, I'm going to be quizzing Tommy with four events that have happened across 2020 in the footballing world. And one of which will be a monumental or famous game from the year that Tommy can then choose a team to Guess the guess line up and say which players were playing or came off the bench in that game. So, Tommy, are you ready to hear the four events? How are we feeling? Do you think you've got a good memory of what happened across this year? It's been a long year in football. It's been a long season. So, on one side, I think some events are easy to put in order because it's pre-COVID and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, I mean, pre-lockdown and post-lockdown. Um, but actually then it becomes tricky when it concerns like the tournaments that were restarted during the summer. So I'm feeling pretty confident pre-COVID. After COVID, uh, I feel like there is three months full of footballing events, but we shall see. I'm ready for your questions. Okay, so listeners get a pen and paper as always, and in no particular order, four events are... Bayern Munich embarrassing Barcelona 8-2 in the Champions League. I think we all remember that game, right? Yeah, I do, I do. Good. The second event is Jose Mourinho opens his Instagram account. Now, this is something that has provided us with quite a lot of entertainment since we started the pod, right? I do really enjoy following his account. It's it's a good one, and if you haven't yet, listeners, please do. Rory, an Arsenal fan, is telling you to. Yeah, there's big, like dad vibes from the account and the captions are always hilarious i've got a lot of time for it so we have Bayern munich beating barcelona 8-2 jose Mourinho starting his instagram account final game in the premier league in front of a crowd so the last game where people were allowed into the stadium under the old circumstances all right and the final event is liverpool sealing their title win so the game that confirmed that they were champions. So not when they lifted the trophy, but the game that confirmed their title win. So I will start from the most vivid memory that I have. Uh, Bayern Munich winning 8-2 to Barcelona. That was at the at the beginning of August. Sometime at the beginning of August. So about that, I'm pretty sure. Jose Mourinho opening his Instagram account. A glorious moment for Instagram users. I think that must have been around the beginning of the new season, so September, I'm going to say. So August for Barcelona and Bayern, 
September for Jose Mourinho, then of course the last crowd to be allowed in the UK. I remember kind of a scandal, the Liverpool Atletico game being played and okay, that, yeah. that caused a lot of controversy. I think that was the last game that was played in England with supporters and okay. after that even the Premier League decided not to play. And then the fourth event, what was it? Liverpool sealing their title win. That must have been, yeah, you see, that that's where it get, gets confusing. But I think it must have been like May, June, June, July. I'm going to say in order, the last crowd allowed in the UK. Okay, so this is from oldest to most recent. Yeah, right? from oldest to most right. recent. Right. Last, cloud, uh, last, cloud, <laughs> last crowd allowed in the UK. Then Liverpool sealing their title win. Bayern Munich embarrassing Barcelona A2, and finally Jose Mourinho opening his Instagram account. Three out of four. On February the 9th, Jose Mourinho posted his first thing to Instagram. What? Which was his, his lovely little brand, you know, setting the brand logo. Oh, damn. Then on March the 9th, Leicester City played Aston Villa, and that was the final game in the Premier League to be. So your timing was right. The 11th, only two days later, was. The last game in England, but this was the last Premier League game. Then, on June the 25th, Liverpool are confirmed title winners with a 5-3 win over Chelsea. And finally, Barcelona lose 8-2 to Bayern Munich on August the 14th. So, Tommy, I, I don't think you got... I got two out of four. Two, uh, two out of four? That's... I, then, Mourinho, I arrived late then. I arrived when... I, I have to stroll all the way back now. <laughs> stroll all the way down and check the, the, the latest posts. But wait, it's a comeback from Mourinho because he used to have Instagram when he was coaching Man U. And then, oh, right, okay. Then after he got fired, he removed his Instagram account. All right, so now I got a chance to guess the lineup of so, one of those games. You can either choose now. I think I know which one you're going to choose. Would you rather choose Leicester City versus Aston Villa? Mm. Or would you choose Bayern Munich against Barcelona? I'm going to go for Bayern Munich against you Barcelona. You surprise me. You surprise yeah. me. And I'm actually going to pick Bayern Munich. Okay, right. Let's go. Remember, you get three wrong and you're out. All right. So uh, I'm going to start in goal, Manuel Neuer. One. In defense, center back, it's going to be Niklas Sule. Nope. Oh. God, all right, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to move. Oh, Alaba, David Alaba. Okay, two. Two. Then uh, we've got Alfonso Davies. Three. Who was playing on the left flank. Then we've got Joshua Kimmich. Four. Right, Leon Goretzka. Five. <laughs> then we've got Thomas Müller. Six. Uh, Robert Lewandowski. Seven. He came on for sure because he scored a brace. Philippe Coutinho. Eight. I'm doing well. Then we've got Jerome Boateng, maybe? Nine. Nine. Um, who am I missing? Somebody. Thiago Alcantara? Ten. Yes, baby. And then, who am I missing? I'm missing a big one. Look at me. Is it a big one? Is it a big name? Kind of. Oh, Kingsley Common? No, that's too wrong. Oh, all right. And I'm really trying to think... Davies, Leon Goretzka. Oh, no, wait, sorry, no, Coleman, yeah, 11. Coleman, good. Yeah. All right, that's the maximum score I can get. 11 okay, points. Okay, good. So let's go through the starting lineup. That was a good work. So yeah. 13 in total. So the starting lineup was Neuer, Kimmich, Kronboateng, David Alaba, Alfonso Davies, Thiago, Goretzka, Nabry, Thomas oh, Muller, Ivan Pedisic, 
Lewandowski and Nicholas Sula. Oh wait, he did come on. Come on, right? I understand he that did it's come on. So you got thirteen in total: Sula, Coutinho, Lucas Hernandez, Tolisso, and Kingsley Coman came off the bench. So how many points did he score? You got fourteen in total. Fourteen total. That's pretty good. That is very good. That's all right. Very good. All right. All right. All right. I'm excited to test you later, but first we are gonna have our quick, quick Premier League round roundup. How I mean, how many games have been played since the uh, beginning of Christmas break? Oh, I don't know, but I know that there's a game tonight, and then we start again tomorrow. Yeah, I was checking from December 24th to January 4th. There is only one day, December 31st, with no Premier League games. It is glorious. I love this time of the year. I think as much as some leagues might benefit from a winter break, I would be absolutely devastated if they brought it in in England because the only thing that makes this time, you know, Christmas, New Year, even better is the fact that there's lots and lots of football to watch with all this free time. So, yeah, bring it on. This is our special Euro review, more like a British review, right? So, while in Italy, for me... As much as I love football, and I, I don't know, I also have other passions, and when winter break comes, it's also a moment, you know, to take a, a break from football, and then you remember that in England, actually, they're playing every single day. What a cultural difference. Yeah, we don't really have space for any other obsessions, or I don't have any space for any other obsessions, and um, Christmas is the time when we cram in as much football as we possibly can. It means it's great for teams that are in form because you just the games are thick and fast, no time to think about it, just roll into those wins, but makes it an even tougher time of the year if you are in bad form because the games never end, you don't have much time to recover, much time to plan for your opposition, and it makes for usually kind of unpredictable and surprise results. You see big changes in the table over a very compact amount of time. Within three weeks, all of a sudden, the table is completely different because you've played about five games. So I think it's always an exciting time of the year. I think that's the reason why I kind of want to say this before we break down mm -hmm. actually the games. I mean, we're g giving a lot of stick to Arsenal because they're looking pretty poor, even though not yeah, right, you know, not, not in the last two not games. Anymore, but, mate. <laughs> not anymore, it's <laughs> all, all over. All the problems are solved. <laughs> it's, it's all over. No, but the thing is, we, we gave Arsenal the stake for sitting at 13, uh, the yeah 13th position, but let's not forget that one month ago, we were laughing our ass off about Manchester United, and right now, all of a sudden, they're title contenders. So I think that shows how the Premier League changes quickly at all times. You never, you, you don't even have the time to start giggling about someone that then... They make three wins in a row and they're sitting top of the table. Yeah, and I think it's one of the great things about the league, but also like it's even more so this year because of like, you know, it's an exceptional season. Like more injuries, can teams more open to strange losses, it means it is a lot more predictable. Yeah, and fans that were being very smug two weeks ago are now not very smug and fans that were very quiet last week are now being very smug this week and I might include myself in that one. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, was going, I was going to suggest our listeners the name of one of them. So I, so I think, yeah, the Premier League always has this like propensity for this to happen, but this year even more so and I am all for it as long as Arsenal keep going in this direction. So, what makes the headline story? There is a particular headline that you pointed out, Bielsa getting... The stick. Yeah, well, there's been a few pundits in the UK uh, who are talking about how, due to Bielsa's attitude of how he approaches games, like never really in pragmatic, never defending, just all-out attack, because this 
does lead to inconsistency. There have been some pundits saying that maybe Bielsa, um, maybe Leeds will fall away, maybe Bielsa isn't the right man for the job. And I think all these people are just completely missing the point of Bielsa. What I love about Bielsa is, I think we've compared him to him in the past, it's kind of like uh, Zdenek Zeman when he was in Serie A, who only cares about the offence, right? And obviously this very rarely wins you titles or wins you trophies, but the fans have so much fun along the way. And I think the fans always look back on those teams more fondly, if you, regardless of if you won things or not, thinking, well, we were scoring five every week. OK, we might concede four, but we were scoring five. Like What I love about Leeds, to, uh, the Leeds team as well is every time you check a result, if they scored four or five, it's never one player. It's always spread around the, yeah, the team. Like they get goals from everywhere. And last night they absolutely hammered West Brom 5-0 at the Hawthorns. This was Bielsa against Allardyce. So Allardyce, obviously, after the draw at Anfield in the last round of fixtures, played his classic rock the bus, flat back ten. Try and get out of here without too bloody a nose. Obviously at Liverpool it worked, they managed to get a point, but Bielsa's men were too much for them last night, and it was the kind of football against anti-football. I was very, very happy that football won. And I, I'm just looking at right now at the Premier League table, and I'm wondering how can you give this manager a stick after he promoted the team. The team mm-hmm. He's sitting at 11th with 23 points. They might have gotten 30 goals against, but they have also scored 30. They're the fourth best attack in the Premier League. Yeah. So straight from the championship. I, I, I think that yeah, sorry, I think that maybe Bielsa what he's trying to do is just like, right, we are here to stay. He knows that they're gonna stay up. Yeah. He's also experimenting a little bit. How far can I push my system mm-hmm. in this league? Agent like if it was working even better than this, he would be a genius. But I think he's just trying to figure things out, like, right, how often can I afford to have this attitude against another team? Maybe after he gets like six scored against, like he will change his tactics and stuff like that. I don't think Bielsa he won't. will. I don't think he does. That's the beauty of Bielsa. You think he will never adapt to like try and adapt his system his to the system, Premier League? He plays his system, his football, that's it. All right. Um, and I, just quickly before we move on, I want to say last year, Chris Wilder was doing basically the same job with Sheffield United of like a freshly promoted team, got them comfortably in mid table. And everyone was praising him. You could not say a bad word against Chris Wilder. Now Bielsa is doing arguably a better job with Leeds this year, you know, playing kind of more attractive football, more attacking football, got them in a similar or better position to Sheffield United at this point. Last season, he's getting a lot of criticism. It just doesn't sit well with me. Um, We'll see if Leeds can keep it up because we do know that Bielsa teams do fade towards the later later part of the season. But even last season in the Championship, Leeds had a stronger finish than the beginning of the season. Obviously, that's different because there was anti-stadiums and stuff, but I think the point still stands. And Maybe Bielsa has found a way for his system to last over a season. All I would say is I do not want Bielsa to change in any way, shape or form. I do not want Leeds to change. They are exactly what the Premier League needs. They are my favourite team to watch in the league. Right, let's say that maybe if they want to win a trophy next year, like try to make a bigger statement, they should try and adapt the system to the league? No, never. No, just play Bielsa Ball. It's All right, fun. Bielsa Ball. All right, yeah, it is fun to watch. I will give you that. It is fun to watch. All right, second talking point. Frankie not getting the stick. Frank not getting stick, and all of a sudden he is looking, things are looking a lot bleaker for Chelsea. So obviously, 
I'm going to quickly skip over this before we revisit it. Can I just say one thing? You take off your eyes off football for four days and the situation at Chelsea has changed five times. All of a sudden, Mendy is not a good goalkeeper anymore. They're dropping points. There is a, there are rumours around the team. What's going on? Well, they've won one in their last five now, including losing their last... Uh, Losing one and drawing last night uh, on Monday. I mean, they've lost the three of their last five. Yeah, exactly. So they are really looking like they're kind of struggling for form. This started with them getting embarrassed. They are tetable at the Emirates. Are tetable? Is that a thing now? Tetable is forming, mostly helped by I think Lampard's lack of tactical instruction and the Chelsea players. Lack of running. The interesting thing after that game was that Lampard just absolutely blamed the team. He took, he came out and said, "I take responsibility on the outside," and then continued to blame his team for not running enough. Like, are you taking responsibility, or are you? Or are you just team? saying it? You can't. You can't say both, Frank. Um, so after losing to us, they they did manage to get themselves back into it because Arsenal are still Arsenal. We like to make things difficult for ourselves. But then that was followed up by home at home. By, with a 1-1 draw against Aston Villa. Giroud, the only player who seems to be able to consistently score for Chelsea at the moment, opened the scoring before El Ghazi, who's been a key man for Villa this season, equalised. For Chelsea, things just look a bit ponderous. There seems to be a lack of system there, and I think Lampard's record now, I was seeing that his points-per-game record for Chelsea is as bad as Andre Villas-Boas's, and it's not been a great... I know I've kind of changed my thoughts on Chelsea quite a lot from title contenders to they're terrible to... But I think fairly consistently through, I've said I don't think Frank Lampard is that great a manager. And I think maybe like spending £250 million in the summer doesn't just give you a, a great team straight away. And he seems to be running out of ideas with that squad. I don't get why Callum Hudson-Odoi doesn't start more every time I've seen him. He came on against Arsenal, changed the game. I think the fact that he sticks with... Werner, who is starting to look like a real flop, even though I know it takes a long time to adapt okay. to it. It takes a long time to adapt to the Premier League. But his performance against Arsenal was one of the worst front-man performances I've seen at the Emirates for a long time. And we've had Sonogo there, right? <laughs> like He was... Some of his first touches... There was one moment he got through the defence, but beyond that, he did nothing. He was, he was dragged off at half-time. It seems like they can't really get all the pieces to fit in the right places. Yeah. So if you were a manager, just a random question, if you were a manager with Lampard's experience, would you rather have your club buy 250 million worth of new players or maybe get one big signing and try to figure out a system with the already existing players that you have? I think he was stuck between a a rock and a hard place, really, because the Chelsea squad quite obviously needed an upheaval. So they've given him that upheaval. They've backed him. Now, because they've backed him, obviously has to show them those results. So it's made his job harder for him than if they'd not had a big summer. But then they've had a big summer, so you should be getting better results. Like if you look at Havertz again, it's taken him a while to to fit in, but he is only 18, 19. First time playing abroad, of course, it's going to take time. I just think the lack of, like, nobody knows what Chelsea are yet. They don't know what type of team they are. Do they know who they are? Well, I don't think they do. I'm not sure. One week they'll be pressing and they'll be high intensity, like tackling, working as a group, and then the next week there's no running. It all looks a bit out of ideas, a bit kind of... Like a daisy Yeah, exactly, exactly. Good My word. favorite English Very good word. Um, I've been waiting to, to throw it in the pod, <laughs> and this was the time. Perfectly Like a daisy 
I think, yeah, they just, nobody's quite sure what what team they are yet. And they've gone from now, from, like I said, for the third time, from title challenges to will they make top four yet again. And now they're only six points behind Arsenal. What about your prediction that they would win the league? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not making any more predictions for the title because I've already I'm not said, making any more predictions. I've already said about period. three teams. I've already said about three teams. Who knows? If they turn a corner, then anyone can, any team can get into this title race with a run of form. Like this is not going to be a hundred point season. We we can see that already. It's going to be a low scoring, um, a low points total to win the league this year. So any team, if they put a string of results together, can involve themselves. All right. Who knows? Who knows? The same words that Oli was probably telling himself last night at the 90th minute. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows if the boys will score a goal and then. Yet again, the boys come to the rescue. Manu, crucial win. He is the luckiest man in the Premier League, Ollie. Everything just seems to bounce right for him. In a game that we were kind of half-watching last night, it seemed like we kind of started to half-watch We had the three screens on last night. Football on every single screen. It was confusing at times. It was getting a bit much. At At a moment, I was looking at Manchester United Wolves and it took me a second to realize if it was a recorded game, if it was a live game, what teams were playing. But it seemed like not much was happening in that game. Kind of Wolves were waiting for United to break them down and trying to catch them on the counter, which is what we expect from Wolves. But... In the 93rd, 94th minute, Rashford managed to deflect a goal in to win the game for the Red Devils. They now find themselves only two points behind league leaders Liverpool. And all of a sudden, as we've said before about the narrative changing in this season, all of a sudden Liverpool, uh, United have gone from laughing, not a laughing stock, but people may be laughing at them, to are they going to challenge for the title? And with Bruno Fernandes seeming to dragging that team towards it they could be they could be well they're in the race at the moment right who who knows how long they can stay there what do you think i don't know it's very interesting i'm looking at the table and it's so fascinating also because some teams have played extra games other teams have got two games in hand so i see for example that leicester city have 16 liverpool have 15 mm-hmm. but then i see at fifth place aston villa 26 points i mean they could easily be third in the league right yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. with the second best defense it's a very interesting league this year honestly i'm very it's a very exciting season both in the premier league and in the Serie A. about manchester united all i have to say and i know you won't agree with me but it's nice to see Manchester United up there. Like, it just right. feel it will look right when you will see Liverpool, Man U, mm-hmm. Arsenal, Tottenham, well, yeah, yeah. the top six being top six. But I really like how teams like Everton, Aston Villa are, are creeping in. It's uh, it's very interesting. I don't know. I'm not going to make any more predictions. But yeah, looks like a very, very hard fought battle this year. This is the year for any one of those teams that are kind of. The outsiders for top six, outsiders for top four. This is their year to, to try and make a run for it, like Leicester, Everton, Wolves, even maybe Southampton looking very good. Like any, like I said, any of these teams, if they put a run together, can, could say get could get into the top four if things fall their way. It's really, really close this season. Including Arsenal. Yeah, we will see. Eh? We are now, for the first time in a while, I feel like I'm not looking down the table and starting to look up it. Um. For the first time this season, we have won two games in a row. Christmas miracle. Honestly, I had I had a really like not surprisingly nice, but you know, for how quiet this Christmas was, not going home, etc. It was a surprisingly great Christmas. And that was wrapped up beautifully by Arsenal beating Chelsea three one, which I don't think anybody saw coming. I definitely didn't see coming. We played 
fantastically. Arteta switched up the team. So David Luiz and William were ruled out through illness, as was Gabriel. And it seemed to do us a favour. I hope that the Willian is never back in the team. I've not made a I've not made a secret of that, but I think it has done us a lot of favors. We brought in Emil Smith Rowe, uh, Saka, and Martinelli as the front three behind Lacazette against Chelsea. It worked really, really well. All of a sudden, we had energy in attack. We had triangles going up the pitch, and we were just able to through a few one twos, give and goes, get past defense, and yeah. A, Questionable penalty against Tierney. I would say it's a penalty, but it was close. It's definitely arguable. Put us in the lead, Lacazette scored. And then the the best goal of the night was Saka's. People will still be arguing about whether he meant it or not. There's a great clip of Saka arguing with Callum Hudson-Odoi after the game. Hudson-Odoi is obviously quite annoyed, saying, oh, you didn't mean it, you didn't mean it. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Saka are kind of laughing at him. He's like, yeah, of course I'm in it. Of course I'm in it, man. So it was a great goal, kind of shot come cross that just, just dipped into the top corner. It really top, It kind of put the cherry on the top of a great performance. Um, it was really fun to watch. Like I said, we we nearly threw it away because we're still Arsenal. Uh, Tammy Abraham scored. Then we managed to give away a penalty. But Leno saved it. Make the last few minutes a little less a terrible penalty. nervy. It wasn't a great penalty. All, it was a all very bad penalty. Yeah. Really bad penalty. Man, that little skip that he does before the penalty yeah. winds me up. But so this time badly. he didn't even do that. He did like half a skip. He, he, he even got the skip wrong. It was all I know about one. Jorginho is that whenever I see him take a penalty and he usually scores, right? He had the record yeah. for most consecutive penalties, I believe, yeah, in the yeah, Premier yeah, League. Yeah. The thing I keep thinking about is whenever this Euro Championship is going to be played, Jorginho taking oh. Italy's penalties is going to give me a heart attack every single time. I'm not sure I want him to be the penalty taker. Surely it would be Immobile, no? I think right now, as of now, it's Jorginho because he's, he's got a better record, but we shall see. No, the, I definitely think it was intentional, the goal by, by Saka. It looked okay. intentional to me. I'm and, choosing to believe he meant it because... And if I, I have to say, to from my very short and bad career, people who know me who are listening to this are giggling already. But right. as a goalkeeper, yeah, okay, I used to play like, as a goalkeeper with my friends. And whenever, and I, I really feel strongly towards goalkeepers. And when I do see those type of goals, I feel so, I feel so bad for the goalkeeper because honestly, you don't think there is it, 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 those kind of lobs. They make you lose perception yeah, yeah, of yeah. where you're standing, really, and you start miscalculating things. And if you see Mendy turning around, it looks like something That's super unexpected. Really, yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. Good for, it's it's him good like for. he's seen a donkey flying, you know. And <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I I understand the feeling. I've seen work. I mean, <laughs> I've done worse yeah, than him, yeah. definitely. And I've seen quite a few of those too. But yeah. But um, then then we followed that up with a very different type of win against Brighton last night, which was an ugly, hard fought. Round out result. Brighton, uh, the, the yeah, Amex. Yeah, not very exciting, right? No. The Amex is a stadium that we've struggled at a long time. And in the past, like last season or the season before, 1 0 up, we crumble at the end and either concede a, a, an equaliser or we concede a loser. This year we didn't, or last night we didn't. And I think that shows positive signs that this team, like Arteta, stuck with the same kind of brave team selection with picking the youngsters up front. This time he brought in Aubameyang, who had quite a at night, there's three or four chances that he, last year he scores them, this year he doesn't. Um, we managed to hold on, Lacazette scored after 21 seconds of coming off the bench. 
And it was just a great result to see. A great three points. Moves us up to a lofty 13th. Um, and puts us only six points off fifth. Nine points off fourth. So maybe, maybe with a run of form we can get ourselves back in the conversation. But it just feels bit nicer to be an Arsenal fan now. I think I said to you when I saw you yesterday, I can taste my food again. I can hear, hear the birds singing. Yeah, when when you walked in and you can sit and you said, I can finally taste and smell again. I thought about <laughs> coronavirus right away. I was like, did you, did you test positive and you didn't tell me and you're here at my house now? And then you made the joke about Arsenal and I was relieved. But before we move on to our awards, notable mention. Man, after a little downhill of a period, Everton are back in business. Four wins in a row. Yeah. Pretty, pretty impressive. Carletto, big business. Well, this is it. They've got themselves into third, uh, fourth, and they're looking really impressive again. They did go through a dip of form. I think, um, like Calvert-Lewin, the goal's kind of dried up a bit, but he seems to be back in it again, and he's kind of dragging them. Again, they could have a really, they could have a really good season. Again, like we've said, anyone who can put a run of form together this season could really achieve something great. Before we end our Premier League review, is, there's a team that I wanted to talk about for a while. We haven't really talked about, and Pete, if you're listening for the next five minutes or so, maybe skip ahead because we're going to have to talk about Sheffield United. Ooh, Pete, I don't know you, but I already feel bad, Pete. Pete came to Milan, anyway. I mean, I know you, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, there are so many friends of Rory's. It's like Pavarotti and France, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Sheffield United this season have played 16 games, okay? and they currently have two points. Minus 19 goal difference. They lost last night. Burnley 1-0 away. And things just look so, so grim for the Blades. I cannot see any world in which they survive this season now. More than the defense, the problem is the attack. They've scored eight goals in 16 games. That's half a goal per game. It is. And now, their business over the summer, they brought in Rian Brewster from Liverpool. And he's quite a highly rated youngster. They spent quite a lot of money on him. I want to say like mid to late 20 million for him. Holy crap. And he had had one decent season in the championship on loan at Swansea, but I didn't really see enough that I thought this guy's going to keep you in the Premier League. And if he's your main focus for goals, I think you're going to struggle. And that's what we're seeing here. If you've got a 19, 20-year-old up front as your main focus for goals, it's a lot of pressure on a young player. Like you said, they just can't score goals. Most games they lose, it's by one goal. It's by the odd goal. They're not getting battered. They're just not scoring only in quotation marks 27 goals against that's not that bad i mean Leeds have got a worse well, defense you, you look at west brom who are above them they've conceded 35 yeah right like and they've got six more points on them i mean their gap yeah their gap with the second to last is i mean imagine being a Sheffield united player taking the pitch every time at this point it's getting dire this you know? has got to be a grim place to be obviously everybody Every Premier League fan will be thinking of one team when we talk about this, and this is Derby County, who in 06-07, I believe, or 07-08, went down with the record low points total of 11 points. The only team they beat that season was Newcastle. I do remember watching that game. It was very funny. But I think we could have a team who are going to take this record away from the Derby fans. They will be very happy about that as well, I'm sure. I think Sheffield United could finish on single Point. The important thing that we should mention, however, despite the terrible situation at Sheffield United, is that they still have the coolest crest in the Premier League. Congratulations, guys. And that's the real quiz. According to me. 
of course, like I, I, I decided that it's the coolest crest in and the Premier that, League. That is the real quiz. And I also only recently realized that I don't know. I zoomed in the crest and I realized that there is a football in the middle and not a skull. Well, it's a white rose. We talked about it's this. It's a rose. Wait yeah, a second. I'm gonna look Lancashire. it up right now. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm gonna look it up right now. Sheffield United. Oh, Yorkshire. God, that kill me. Wait. And what comes? What comes with the? The two swords. I don't know. Oh, it's a rose, right? Yeah, because they're Yorkshire, not yeah. Lancashire. They were Yorkshire. Lancashire, nice, yeah. nice. You guys still have the coolest logo. I hope you stay up. <laughs> it would be, it would be a shame to see that, that logo. Would, that would be the greatest escape of Premier League history if they stay out of this. I'll be honest. Yeah, go Sheffield United. Make us excited. Sorry, Pete. We're done now. You can continue. You we can continue. are done. And now, I guess it's time for the long-awaited Pot Awards, right? Drum roll. We need some, like, Hollywood music. We got it. Something like that. There we go. I'm not even going to put a jingle now. (laughs) That's the best we got. Perfect. So, how do these awards work, Rory? Of course, we're going to analyze solely the Serie A and the Premier League because we are talking about the Anglo-Italian football podcast. So, those are going to be our leagues of focus. We've got different awards. We've got best team, best manager, best player, best signing, best goal, best game, funniest gaffe, most disappointing team, and best youngster. Of course, we're not going to look at the seasons, but we're going to look at the solar year 2020, starting in January 1st and ending today. Rory, where should we start from? Serie A or the Premier League? Let's start with Serie A. We've not talked Serie A yet today. Let's All right. So what award should we start from? Start with the best team of the calendar year 2020. So this isn't necessarily who won the league. This is who has had the best end of last season and beginning of this season, I think. All right. So best team award in Italy goes to a team that has played 35 (laughs) games and scored 79 points. A team that has suffered their latest league defeat on March 8th. And of course, I'm talking about AC Milan. Congratulations for winning the award for best team in Serie A. They are the team that by far has the most points mm-hmm. in 2020. They're sitting first with 79 points. Inter are second with 73, followed by Atalanta, 69. And Juventus are only fourth with 65. Now, we've we've talked a lot about AC Milan's form. Um, a lot of the credit goes to one of their biggest stars, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Mm-hmm. A lot of the credit also goes to Stefano Pioli, their manager. There are more awards coming up. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But um, yeah, Milan, AC Milan have been very impressive. Let's not forget that in December 2019, they suffered a humiliating defeat against Atalanta. That was yeah. terrible. Pioli looks like he was going to get the sack. Then Ibrahimovic arrived and it all changed pretty fast. We've also beat Inter Milan in Derby for the first time in 150 years. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to get to this a bit more, I think, between is it Pioli or Zlatan that have changed the influences more. But there was very much an upturn since the arrival of Zlatan, right? That was definitely a kind of a catalyst towards where they've got now each year, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And the fact that they 
I mean, they managed to to perform even without Ibrahimovic, even if they were big games. And then it's beautiful to see that Ibrahimovic is not part of the squad, but he's still sitting on the bench, giving directions to his teammates. So, yeah, Michael's wish, if you listen to our latest Mm -hmm. episode, was that AC Milan would be found out at some point for not being as good as they are. A lot of AC Milan fans are saying that. I don't know if they do that to sort of prevent... It's just being careful, right? It's, it's just careful. being careful. I do think that AC Milan are flying on the wings of the excitement a lot. Right. But there is something to be said. I mean, if you don't lose a game since March yeah. 8th, that's nine months without losing a single that's, game. That's impressive no matter how you look at it. And you look exactly. at a lot of their squad players who were unconvincing or people weren't convinced of in the past, like Teo Hernandez has become oh my God. like a key Francesio was always rated, but he's become like another level. Like a lot of the players in the squad are taking a step up. So it's not just Slatan being Slatan. It's, it's him pulling up the rest of the team as well, I think, and just getting these players to new ceilings or new levels. And I mean, Taylor Nine, that's he's a left back, but when they needed him against Lazio, 2 2 corner yeah. kick, last play of the game, he came through with a header. I mean, those are the statement wins, in my opinion. That is a win that is like we're a core of players that cares only about winning. Last night, we were thinking, Real Madrid had the best left-back and the best right-back in Europe, and they gave them both way, Hakimi and Teo Hernandez. What? But it's fine, they've still got Marcelo. (laughs) Man, I don't don't know. James Sarncastle the other day, he tweeted, he was like, that was such... Poor business for the Real Madrid. I don't get what, what's going on there. I don't really what's understand. But that takes us to the Premier League. Best team in England, in the UK. Who um, are they? I think there's only one real answer here. Like, no, Chris, no, no points for guesses, I think. Obviously, it's Liverpool. Yeah. Right? Obviously, it's Liverpool. They have 76 points over this calendar year. Won 23 of their 34 games. Of course, this season they did, or this year, they ended their 30-year wait for a league title and finally lifted the Premier League. Salah has 23 goals in 2020. The guy has just been as key as ever to that team. In 2020, they have beaten United, beaten Spurs twice, they've beaten Chelsea twice, they've beaten Arsenal, and they've only lost four games. They lost to City, Arsenal... Watford and Aston Villa in that crazy 7-2. What was the second team they lost against? Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. killing the big boys, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Giant killers, giant killers. Yeah, they've only lost four games all season, and this has been a year where to navigate your team through COVID and still kind of comfortably win the league and start this season not convincingly, but still find yourself on top of the table, means that Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool have had a hell of a year. The other team I just wanted to mention, I don't think they're going to get the award, but I want to mention them for how impressive they've been, is Aston Villa. So, as previously mentioned, they beat Liverpool 7-2, but last season they stayed up with one, on the last day of the season, by one point. Great job by Dean Smith. And then this season, in the summer, he's invested well, Martinez, Matty Cash brought on this team to a whole new level where they currently find themselves placed. They're currently fifth and they're looking... I don't think any team in the league is going to be looking forward to playing Villa this season. So I think they have had a very, very impressive 2020. Like I said, staying up on the last day and now finding themselves in fifth. That is a great year, right? With one of the best defences in the league. Let's not forget. They've played 14 games this season. 
right? And they have eight clean sheets in the Premier League. It is. Who's their goalkeeper, It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so, but unfortunately, or not, ultimately, I'm going to have to give the best team of 2020 to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. I think it's only fair. Seen England with the best player award for 2020, right? Okay, the best player. This is all going to be a bit predictable. I think there's two names on my screen that I'm arguing in my head about. An Egyptian and a Belgian. Can you guess who they are, Tommy? I guess one goes by the name of Mohamed Salah and the other one goes by the acronym of KDB. Full points. Full marks, Tommy. Good work. So, Mohamed Salah, 26 goals in 2020 and 10 assists. And Kevin De Bruyne, 11 goals and 20 assists. Both players that are so key to their teams, such a pleasure to watch, relentless. They've had four or five years at the top of the of the division now, maybe three or four seasons. But I'm going to have to give it to Mo Salah. You, you can't reasonably argue that there's been a better player than him in 2020 in the Premier League. Um, some of his goals are beautiful. The one that sticks in my mind is against Leeds in the first game of the season, the volley. He hits the ball so hard. And he seems like a cheat code at times, like just runs past players and rifles it into the bottom corner. And he's had a great year, and he looks like he's not slowing down, really. There's no signs of him slowing down. Incredible piece of leaves, of business by Liverpool mm-hmm. to get Salah when they did. Um, I just think when I when I saw what they were coming up with, this system with Salah and Sané on the wings and Firmino as a sort of false nine, it looked like incredible business on Liverpool's part. And about Salah, I just have to say that many times, I don't know, Timo Werner, uh, I don't follow the Bundesliga that much. And I wish I had seen him, for example, coming up the ranks a little more. With Salah, he's a player that following the Serie A, I've seen play at Fiorentina, then at Roma, I've had him in fantasy football. I've sort of like followed his career up close. He looks like a great guy, very reserved about his private life, very smart too, very funny, incredibly professional, uh, incredibly talented. And it's just nice to see that he came to one of the biggest clubs in England and he's becoming a symbol to one of the biggest clubs in England. I do think he got a very bad treatment at Chelsea. Yeah. And then also at, I don't know, I feel like Roma always do sell their best players in the end. But if they had had a bit of like clairvoyance towards the future, I think they could have built a very competitive team around Salah. But we know that business is business and that business needed to be done. Yeah, exactly. They knew that once the kind of, in quotes, bigger boys came knocking, they wouldn't be able to say no. I think Salah, the... um... He is already now a Liverpool legend. He will be one of the names that kind of rolls off the tongue straight away when you think of Liverpool greats. Also, he's done so much work like for the community around Liverpool. I saw a kind of quick like two-minute video on Twitter the other day that was talking about how he personally, like his effect, has reduced like um, Islamophobic abuse in the Premier League online by about 50%. Um, That's very good. Because he's very proud of the fact that he's a Muslim and he's very like, oh, kind of, demonstrative with his faith because obviously it's very important to him and this has led to people kind of finally um, say oh well if he like he's all right and he's a, so if you know what I mean I think he's having a lot of effect off the pitch as well and I think that is only further testament to the type of person he is as well as the outstanding footballer um, weird how he got chased out at Chelsea and was never really given a chance but Liverpool will be more than thankful for Mourinho being Mourinho absolutely absolutely back to the Serie A who is our player of the year? Well, it was a close contest between a few 
very popular names in the top flight of Italian football. But the winner is, you would never guess, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, we are really... We're really throwing out the surprises today, Tommy. We're I mean, really so it was a close contest between three forwards that were the headlines of Italian football last year. In order, Cristiano Ronaldo, Ciro Mobile and Romelu Lukaku. So mm-hmm. let's start from the third. Romelu Lukaku, he had an incredible season, the 19-20 season. 2020 was a very good season for him. 22 goals in 32 games. Mm-hmm. Still impressive. Yes. However... Ah, two very sad moments for Lukaku too. That hadn't they happened, especially the first one, I think he would have won the award because first year in Italy, winning the Europa League with Inter yeah. Milan, first trophy in ten years, that would have deserved it, deserved him mm. the award. But unfortunately, he scored an own goal in the final, and then oh, on the last day of the Champions League group stage a few weeks back, man. <laughs> I just giggle. He looks like a man who's walking in the park. Yeah. And when Sanchez <laughs> hits it against his head, he's just like a man who has seen a pigeon fall from a tree. He's like, what? So, Romelu, I'm very sorry, but you're not the winner. Number two, Cheater Mobile, 28 goals in 33 games. However, a lot of them were penalties. I was just about to ask how many of them were penalties. I, didn't, I don't want to say it, but I... Man, maybe half of those were penalties. Like, there were a lot of penalties, and Lazio suffered... A declining form towards the end of the season. They're not doing that well right now. It takes a little more to win the Anglo-Italian part yeah, of the world. Yeah, well, you've got to earn this thing, guys. And so here he comes, Cristiano Ronaldo, with 33 goals in 29 games. He single-handedly won Juventus the league last year. Let's not forget that at the end of the day, Juventus won the league by one point. I mean, the situation was very strange, but they did win by one point. Paulo Dybala also had a very good season at Juventus. I still don't understand why nobody rates him. Well, he, he was one of the it. best players, according to stats, for the 1920 season. Yeah. But he, his 2020 overall wasn't that great, especially okay. the uh, latest part. But yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo, you're the winner. And we can move to best manager of the year. I have already kind of given a hint. Close contest between two men. One of them being Giampiero Gasperini, the coach for Atalanta. I mean, what Atalanta have achieved in 2020. You you, you only need to look at the Champions League campaign for you to be like, that was was very special. Yeah, but overall, Atalanta are still not a very reliable team when it comes to streaks of positive results. And right now, there has been, how could I possibly give the award to best manager to Gasperini when there is something that has clearly happened between him and one of his best players. So maybe that's something that says something about locker room management too. I'm going to pick Stefano Pioli. <laughs> I, right, I need to remind you that Tommy is an Inter fan, right? Yeah, he's yeah. not undercover. No, look, I yeah, yeah, Stefano Pioli, he's the if I rightfully so, if we give the award to AC Milan, I think some credit needs yeah. to be given to their manager as well. He's figured out a pretty straightforward system, a four three three, that however Turns out to be pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Even once again, I think that he deserves a lot of the credit also because when Ibrahimovic, the biggest star, wasn't there, the team still has performed. He hasn't lost a game in Serie A since March. Mm-hmm. They've lost only one game since March against Lille in the Europa That's League, crazy. 3-0. So, I don't know, maybe at some point, I have a feeling that at some point something's going to happen. Milan are going to be found out just a little bit. But as of now, the word goes to you, Stefano. 
Congratulations. Auguri Stefano. Auguri Stefano. And who's the best manager in the Premier League? Well, I promise that I have looked at other teams beyond the two that I've only talked about. But the best manager, again, came down to two candidates for me. And it was either Jurgen Klopp for Liverpool or Dean Smith for Aston Villa, right? So it's the two teams kind of popping up again, the two same names. But I think these are the two that have done the best job this year, simply, right? Jurgen Klopp ended Liverpool's um, year wait for a title. He has... Got them back through like this season. They've had a lot of injuries, not been able to start the same centre back partnership more than two games in a row. I don't think, and he still managed to steer them top of the table. Like what I like about Liverpool and is what kind of most successful teams have when they have a system is that like a player can come in from the youth team, look completely. You always sit and go, oh my god, is this another one? Is this another player that can be a first team? This is another great player. And I think they've found that with. Because the system is so clear that the youth players are able to come in and just slot in straight away. So you look at players like Curtis Jones, who's come in, and Nico Williams, they're coming to the side, not looked out of place and just been able to fill in in the system. Um, And it just shows that this Liverpool juggernaut isn't going to be slowing down anytime soon, I don't think. I think the best manager has to be Jurgen Klopp for how he's managed Liverpool at the end of last season through COVID and through injuries at the beginning of this season. I wanted to give a special shout-out to Dean Smith for keeping up Aston Villa on the last day of the season and guiding them into fifth place at the start of this season. He obviously masterminds the 7-2 win over Liverpool, the 3-0 win over Arsenal. They've already beaten both Leicester and Wolves this season, both away. Like, so they're getting some really good results, but I think I have to go with Jurgen Klopp They've only lost four games in the Premier League this year. Look like they could, might, should retain it this year. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp, best manager. I don't know how to say congratulations in German. Um, Schaldegon? I have no fucking idea. But Schaldegon? I can't I... remember. I think maybe that's welcome. There's my high school German being exposed. But anyway, congratulations in German, Jurgen. I'm yeah. going to say Wunderbar. Wunderbar, there we awesome. go. Awesome. But, Rory, next up, it's not a, a Liverpool player, surprisingly. Best signing okay. of 2020 in the Premier League. We are moving away from Merseyside in the West Midlands. and We're going to the Northwest. I think, again, there is only one answer to this question. Best signing of 2020 has been Bruno Fernandes. No doubt about you can't, that one. You can't look anywhere else. I would say the best signing in world football this year. 45 games. 26 goals. How many assists? 17 assists. 17? Damn. And he joined on the January the 30th. This is a guy who, I think we talked about in a previous pod, um, the best post-Ferguson signing by some distance. I think you have to say that. And the impact he has had on the rest of that team, by his leadership, through his attitude, through his ability, it's just been unbelievable. And I think... He is a big part of the look that Solskjaer gets, as in you have to make your own look, and Fernandez does make a lot of that look for the team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember Fernandez at Novara, at Sampdoria, mm-hmm. and uh, I would never think that one day I would see him play at Manchester United. Um, he was very talented back in the day, but it just didn't seem like he, he was who he is now. Yeah, yeah. And I think that he's got a scary personality. I mean, scary he's professional. So driven, and Crazily driven. And you said that, I don't know if we recorded it on the pod or if it was a conversation between me and you, but it really feels like, you know, there are a lot of players who are like, they get excited for the move to a big club, but then when they get to the big club, they don't pay out the expectations that people have. 
while I think that it was like, if I go to Manchester United, I cannot fuck around. I'm, I'm going to like help this club be back at the levels where it belongs. Yeah, well, I think he's, he's seen an opportunity for him to be the talisman and him to be the name that's linked with his comeback, right? It's um, been incredible. He seems to have formed the partnerships very quickly with both Cavani and Rashford. And Cavani's looking like that could be a very clever signing for them as well. It was still a panic signing, but I think it might be a panic signing that I works out well. I say that. Um, is just Cavani, man. Yeah, and I think him and Fernando seem to be working well, really well together. And, yeah, no, there's only one answer. Who is it in Serie A, Tommy? In Serie A, it's another youngster. He comes from Sweden, and he's only 39 years old. <laughs> and he goes by the name of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Once again, I did look at other names, but there is no name that stands out more than mm-hmm. Zlatan's. He, I remember the game that they played on January 11th. I did check this earlier. Uh, on uh, right, at, right. At, Away at Cagliari, it was the first game where Ibrahimovic was back, and I was very curious. I was like, all right, let's see what they got. He's just coming back from the MLS. I'm really curious to see what he's all about. This new look, AC Milan with Ibrahimovic. I did watch that game, and I was like, oh, fuck, man. He still got it. He still shoots from outside the box. He still wrestles defenders. He still has the touch. He still has it all. Well, guess what? That wasn't a coincidence. It just kept improving. I I don't recall uh, another moment in recent history when people were really wondering who was it, the manager or this specific player that not necessarily with his footballing skills but with his personality turned the faith of the team around um, also, I yeah, I don't know, AC Milan fans love Ibrahimovic and they feel like it would have been a huge disappointment to see such an incredible football star come back and not perform mm-hmm. quite as well. And at the end of the day, you realize one thing, Zlatan Ibrahimovic does not age. I don't know when this man, man is going to retire, but the whole MLS thing sounded weird. He, he wants to retire with a bang. Yeah, feel yeah. like he's got a few chips on his shoulder. The fact that he has never won the Ballon d'Or, the fact that he has never won the Champions League, so I feel like he wants to retire. He still has some boxes to tick. Yeah, right? and he wants to retire with a bang. I think that whole MLS move was quite a clever move because he was coming back from, I think, we, again, we might have talked about this, but he was coming back from a big injury and he went to a less competitive league where potentially he wasn't going to get as roughed up and it wasn't going to be as intense on his joints as a kind of year to recover whilst playing football and was able to come back to Europe and kind of really push on. I think this guy could play till 42-43. I don't think there's going to be like... He doesn't rely on his pace anymore, not really. His game has changed. So. Euro 2021 coming up. We'll really? see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if Sweden would have him back. But... I would personally call him up. but Yeah, I don't know. I can understand why you might not want to. But, yeah. So, after four awards, we've got AC Milan with three awards. Best team, best manager, and best player. Uh, no, sorry, and best signing. Juventus with one, best player. Now, the first award for Inter Milan is... Best Youngster of 2020. Here, there were quite a few names, um, but I, not because he got tired of forwards. Dijon Kulusevski had a very good season last year. I love year. Kulusevski. He's in my fantasy team. He had a very good 19-20 season. His 2020 wasn't necessarily that incredible. I'm going to give the award to Alessandro Bastoni from Inter Milan. This good guy, choice. This guy, central defender, he... Godin's spot at Inter Milan. Now, big shoes to fill, right? The Godin we got was not the Godin of uh, 
in his prime at Atletico, of course. But for a, I mean, this guy was born in 1999. For a 21-year-old guy don't to take Gooding's spot, yeah, <laughs> to take to take a Gooding's spot and become the starter at Inter Milan, even there was a period when Skriniar was benched mm-hmm. and Bastoni became it really came up at for Inter Milan. Um, he also got his first senior call-up for the Italy squad. Mancini praised him. He said he's going to be the next Bonucci. I hope he doesn't turn out to be quite as a pick as Bonucci. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But fo- footballing skills-wise, I think he's up there and he's the future of great Italian uh, defenders. Well, That's is, my pick. Well, this is a player I've kind of said to you before. Is someone who really impressed me. I remember the first time I saw him print, and I said, hey, Ashley, tell me who's that guy. He looks... 17 and but also at the same time looked so composed in defense able to pass it out from the back never really see him make a mistake he just slotted into that that defense as a mature head at such a young age is yeah he's one of the brightest defensive prospects in europe he was sick for me on football managing last year's edition really what team um i bought him for arsenal i had him zaniolo who i brought in and Barella, I kind of formed an Italian spine in my team, and Bastoni was one of the better ones. He was absolutely fantastic, and I think he is. Um, yeah, for Italy, it's good for them to have a kind of um, exciting defender again. Like we always have such great defenders. It's good to see another one off the um, the what is it the the summit line, the production line. Yeah, like and. Here. I think that was brilliant business from Inter Milan, which is something that I don't say that often. Uh, we got him from uh, Atalanta's youth team, then loaned him back to Atalanta, and then loaned him back to Parma for the entirety of last season, and no, two seasons ago. And then he came back, became a starter. Conte loves him. He's learning a lot. Him. Signing, no, sorry, best youngster in the Premier League, bro. Okay, so now I'm sounding really indecisive because I am. And again, I have two names on this list. So, one of them is from my biased point of view, and one of them is kind of my biased view. So, biased, I think Bukayo Saka could be the best youngster to have come in the Premier League. Okay, okay. He has been the best player for a struggling Arsenal team for both the second half of last season and definitely the beginning of this season. He's popped up with goals and assists in the Premier League. He's played left wing, left back, centre mid, right wing, left centre mid. He has played everywhere and he has looked he has looked accomplished in all of those positions. But he's made his debut for he's made no, his, but, yeah. no, 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 yeah, he's made his debut for England. He's starting to become a kind of regular for England. All at nineteen, I think this guy is fucking exciting. I love that he signed a five-year contract to Arsenal. He is one of the futures of our team. But I realise that but, finally. everyone else is going to be saying, man, you're stupid. Like, there's been much more impressive youngsters this year. For example? And I am going to pick someone who doesn't grab all the headlines, but I think maybe he should. And Tom will be very happy with this. He knows. It is Declan Rice. I think he is such an all-around midfielder. So last season especially, he was very good at like winning the ball back, dictating play, keeping the ball moving, like that kind of metronome. Now this season, he's really added to his game by being able to get forward. He's become a much more of a box-to-box midfielder. He's ca- he's now West Ham captain, or he is captaining the team. Um, again, at 20, I think, 19-20, he's become the focal point of that team. And again, for England, is a key player. I think he's someone who is a very, very exciting prospect for the future. He's had a very big 2020 
definitely a breakout year. The bigger teams are looking at him, like Chelsea, um, who let him go when he was a youngster. Um, so they might have to buy him back. But I think, honestly, the way West Ham are looking at the moment, they could keep him for a while. I think he's quite happy there. He's happy being, I said, happy being the captain, happy being the focal point of the team, whereas at Chelsea or United or Liverpool, he might not be. Um, but yeah, he is my best youngster in the Premier League 2020 shortly followed by Saka, and I know people are going to be shouting Jack Grealish. I did look at Jack Grealish as well, but I have chosen Declan. Very quickly, because we don't want to delve into sad topics, but the words for most disappointing team in Premier League and in Serie A, they go to Sheffield United, whom we've talked about earlier. Sorry, Pete. And in Italy, Torino. I mean, all I have to say about Torino is what the fuck. 27 <laughs> points in 35 games. Their manager... Can you believe that their manager is still coaching them? It's insane. I don't know, like... Man, and the, the incredible does he know thing... So, does he have something on the chairman, right? So, the, the funny thing photos is... Photos of him that he doesn't want release. Well, the, th- the funny thing is that the owner of Torino is also the owner of the media company that owns La Gazzetta dello Sport. Oh, wow, right. Like okay. the main Italian sports, actually, football newspaper. Yeah, yeah sports the is day after thing. The day after they lost, I don't remember to whom, but they were up 2-0. They lost 3-2, as they've done. Oh. You know that they would be first in Serie A for first halves? They've, they always come out winners in the first halves, and then teams come back. But after one of their most terrible wins, the next day, article on La Gazzetta dello Sport they talked about Giampaolo's philosophy at Torino, how well it's working, and it's just like, guys, don't make it as a parent. That you're... <laughs> like that the so Emperor's it... New Clothes or something. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, it looks everything looks fine from an outside point of view, but Torino are sucking balls, and they think that they need uh... a better manager, they need a better owner, they need to be Torino again, because Please. they are risking relegation. But now, our last two awards, they go to best game of the season and funniest gaffe of the season. Which one do you want to start from? Okay, let's go for the best game in Serie A, Tommy. Best game in Serie A. Holy fuck, I did not watch this game. I was working in Switzerland. It was February last year. My best friend Michael, whom you've heard on the pod in the latest episode, the Christmas special, came back from China to Milan only to watch this game. That was, of course, the Milan Derby. Inter against AC Milan. The funny thing is that after that game, he's got stuck here and he hasn't been able to get back to China. He's never been back. But that's another story. Well, that game, first half, 2-0 AC Milan. At the time, Andanovic was injured for Inter Milan. Padelli, our second string goalkeeper, terrible from our management to even consider having him as a second string goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. The guy is not a football player. Um, He basically gives away two goals, one especially to Rebic, the other one is a terrible dive in front of Ibrahimovic. AC Milan are up 2-0. I was working. We were having a meeting at night with my colleagues. Check the score 15 minutes into the second half. And they see that it's 2. And then it's 3-2. And it's 4-2. And when Lukaku scores the 4-2, there is this iconic picture of him lifting the corner kick flag with his shirt on top. And it was great. It was awesome. I loved his, his his Twitter post, Milan as a new king, there's a king in town, something like that. But um, yeah, I wish I had watched it. And um, my, my friend Michael says that probably at halftime, he made a vow to the universe. He said, I don't care what the fuck happens. We need to win this game. Guess what happened? <laughs> Global <laughs> pandemic. You can't go back to China. You're stuck here. But yeah, it was definitely worth it. That's the Serie A greatest game of the season. 
Who do we have in the Premier League? I know you're excited about now, this one. Again, I'm unable to make a decision, and I have a breakdown of three games or a choice of three games. I'm looking at. So we have Liverpool four, Leeds three from the first game of the season. So Klopp versus Bielsa. That was an exciting one. That was a great game. The standouts were the Salah volley for me and the Jack Harrison rocket. We also have Spurs three, West Ham three with that fantastic last second goal from Lanzini. Or Liverpool five, Chelsea three, which is the game where Liverpool clinched their title win. And where Klopp and Lampard had an argument on the sideline. They were all great, great games. But I'm going to choose, because I feel like I've been a bit Liverpool heavy. I'm going to go for Spurs 3, West Ham 3. Yes, I am a little bit biased. Spurs feeling 3-0 up and getting pegged back is brilliant. West Ham always do well against Spurs. And for the Lanzini goal and the reactions afterwards, that is my game of the season. I think it was during a particularly tough run for West Ham and this was one of the games where they started to show a bit of steel and their system was working and they were like, no, we're not just going to get rolled over. I think this was a landmark result for West Ham which pushed them on to get other great results. So I'm going to say, yeah, best game, Spurs 3, West Ham 3, the London Stadium, the Armitage Shanks Arena. We're going to drop a few links below this episode so you can watch some videos and we're definitely going to find the two Tottenham supporters podcast guys. The reaction is fantastic. Their reaction is fantastic. Thank you guys for an awesome moment. But within that game, Rory, we also have another award, right? Yeah, so hidden an award within award. It's all getting quite meta. Uh, My goal of the year is that Lanzini rocket. Uh, crossbarring in, which I always love a crossbarring in. It's in the last dying seconds of the game. I think it ticks all the boxes. It kind of hits the crossbar, bounces just over the line, then hits the back of the net. The reaction from the fans in an empty stadium, just the West Ham fans celebrating, sounds like the place is full on the bench. It's amazing. What a goal. What a goal. Right, right foot rocket. Yeah, uh, we didn't want to give it to Son once again. For the, no, he's already got the push cash. He's already yeah. got the push cash. But we did say that this one is more important, right? So, Manuel Lanzini, yeah. you are yeah, the yeah. winner of 2020. Congratulations. And he said, yeah, the best goal of the season. There were, I mean, over so many games, so many goals, there are always there is always a very intense short list. But I think the most impressive one, so considering that the guy scored this goal between two different ACL injuries. Yeah. Nicolò Zaniolo versus Spal oh, this what summer. Goal. What a so goal. you see, you will have the link below, but let me describe it really quickly. Please. Chris Smalling gets the ball back in defense, gives it to Zaniolo, who is chilling right before the half. Of looks around and then he's like, I'm just going to go. There is one defender that tries to snatch the ball from him. He turns, another one, he shoulders him off. Then he just puts the ball forward, burns another one. There are two guys closing in on him. One, at this point, they're in the spouse box. One of the two defenders gets a touch on the ball. And at that point, Zaniol understands that he cannot get hold of the ball anymore. And he just hammers it on the back of the net. This is a beautiful goal. I get well soon, Zaniol. I want to see you back on the pitch. He's such a great player. I want to see you at Euro 2021. No rush to play for Roma, man. Nobody cares. (laughs) Just be well and be fit. For Euro 2021, 2022, 2023, whatever number. Whenever it's going to be. Whenever it's going to be. So finally, Tommy, it's time for your funniest moment of the season. Let's go for Serie A first and then we'll go for the Premier So this was at the beginning of the year, but I haven't found anything better than this. Paul Lopez 
AS Roma's goalkeeper last season. The derby against Lazio, the big, arguably their <laughs> biggest game of the season. There is a corner kick by Lazio. A Lazio player is far away in the, on the second post, gets a touch on it. The ball goes up, and at this point, you see Paul Lopez trying to understand the trajectory where it, where it is going to come down to. He raises a hand, but the ball touches the crossbar. After he touches the crossbar, it bounces back in the field, oh. and at that point, Smalling gets a touch on it because rightfully so, he's like, this goalkeeper is not going to do anything. <laughs> he gets a touch that would get the ball over the crossbar, right. but Paul Lopez decides to slap the ball <laughs> on the feet of uh, Acerbi, Lazio's defender, who scores the 1-1, the equalizer oh, for the game. Well. It was yeah. awful. I'm sorry, Paul Lopez. I'm very sorry, but that was the funniest moment in the Serie A for me. What about in the Prem? Okay, so I think that most people have been laughing at Arsenal for most of the season, so I think there's a few moments that I'm going to discuss. The first one is... So I don't know if you heard that, we'll do it one more time, because I do love this clip. I love everything about this clip. I love that it's very northern swearing from Rob Holding. So he's just taken down Adama Traore, or taken down. Adama Traore has gone down on the pitch. And Rob Holding continues, or goes to scream, he's gone down like a brick shithouse. No, he's built like a brick shithouse. How has he gone down like that? And I've, I just love everything about this clip. It is the frustration of Holden being the only defender that was capable that day and him being shafted by this man mountain. Um, yeah, I love everything about it. The other clip I wanted to bring up was Kieran Tierney inexplicably yes, tripping over his own feet uh, against Aston Villa. There's a great angle of this. Of As Tierney falls over, the advertising hoarding word Arsenal slowly appears as he falls over and so I think it was a Spurs fan shared it like this is like an advert for Arsenal Football Club like Arsenal and the defender just collapses under <laughs> no pressure whatsoever um, so I think that was a moment that plenty of people enjoyed um, but I'm going to have to say Rob Holding brick shit house. when I heard it live I burst out laughing and I love you Holdini you've been fucking great this season Holdini um, he's yeah he's amazing oh my he's god amazing. Holdini he's amazing so that takes us to our that was our last award to recap best teams in Serie A and the Premier League AC Milan and Liverpool best players Cristiano Ronaldo Mohamed Salah best manager Stefano Pioli and Jurgen Klopp best signing Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Bruno Fernandes Best goals of the season, Nicola Zaniolo in Italy and Manuel Lanzini in the UK. Best game, Inter against AC Milan. Please win the second one, the return game this year. And then Tottenham West Ham, 3-3. Yes. And then funniest gaffe, Paolo Lopez in Italy. And then we've got a whole thing. What did he call it? A brick shit house. A brick shit house in England. Best youngster in Italy, Alessandro Bastoni for Inter and Declan Rice for West Ham. And finally, the most disappointing teams in each league are... Torino in Italy and Sheffield United. Sorry, Pete. So, in yeah. England. So this is a wrap on our Euro review and awards, Rory. Before we go, I just think hey, this is a good time to look at our personal 2020s. Mm-hmm. I think what has been your personal football highlight of 2020? This can be, I think it's going to be the teams we support because it's the moment that were the best for us. But what do you think was the highlight of your football supporting season this year well it's going to be a funny one I feel like it's going to make a lot of Italians giggle but by it, it ended up uh, in a loss 
I was I was surprised by how disappointed I was for the Europa League final. So that's a disappointing moment, right? Okay, but at right. the same time, it's an exciting one because I got really excited for my team being in the final for the first time after yeah, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. The Europa League run, you say, or getting to the final. Yeah, the Europa League run. Yeah, getting okay. to the final. That really got me excited. And I thought there was, this, there was a moment in which we looked inevitable almost. And, you know, when we rolled over Shakhtar 5-0... And the other games we played, I don't know, It's um, my hopes were very high for a competition that I don't really care about. So, yeah, seeing my team actually making a statement after, guys, I've seen a lot of shit over the past 10 <laughs> years with Inter Milan. And I know that some people will say, man, I support, like, I don't know. Crotone. I support Crotone, imagine my life. But, okay, when you support a team that is supposed to be good, that has a history, you know, and for 10 years we are just dog shit. When we finally get to the final, you're like, oh my god, this is where it belongs. And then you lose it. Well, whatever. That was my highlight. What about you? So I, <laughs> it's I was, funny. An Arsenal and an Inter fan was, looking for highlights. I was very lucky this year, actually, because I had two highlights. And obviously, as I've talked about before, I'm also a Crew Alexandra fan. Crew Alex got promoted last year from League Two back to League One, so into the third division. Um, it had been quite a few dark years for the Alex. We have been struggling to survive in League 2, which could potentially mean going out of the league, which is like very few teams recover from that. So for us to recover from that and then get promoted was unbelievable. Um, we were top of the table at the time that the league was cancelled. They figured out the points differently, so we ended up second. But I would say crew getting promoted mm -hmm. is fantastic. And of course, the Arsenal FA Cup win. Think of course, that meant so much to me <laughs> because the season had been so terrible between Emery, Freddie, Arteta, just a complete mess at the club that is still going on. Things felt particularly dark last season. Thought that was as dark as it was going to get, but it wasn't. But for us to win the FA Cup, just it was a ray of light in a really, really shit season. And to beat City and Chelsea on the way to that win, so nobody can say, oh, you got an easy draw, or none of the big teams wanted it. No, we earned that cup. And over two goals in the final, Arteta lifting a trophy that he lifted as captain of the club in his career. Like I think it's a really big moment for the Arsenal fans. A lot of the youngsters there, it was Saka, like Maitland-Niles, Smith-Rowe, Nelson, all these players. That's like a huge first step in their career. Of this is their first silverware. They can see in the manager, this is a guy who can take us places if we follow him. I think the FA Cup win. I'm going to go for Arsenal FA Cup win, but it's very closely followed by Crowley's promoted. Nice. Good. This is a wrap. And now, Rory, are you ready for the quiz? I do not remember any of this year. A lot has happened, and also nothing has happened. Let's yeah. go. Here we are back, and this time I am testing Rory's knowledge of 2020. How are you feeling, buddy? Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So my four events. Wow, so many tabs open on my computer. All right. The four events. Not all of them. No, 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 no not all of them. Only four, five, six. Only six okay. of them. All right. So my four events are Inter Milan beat for Fiorentina 4-3 in a thriller game. My second event is Kieran Turney <laughs> rips for himself. Uh, I love Turney. Right, Turney falls over. Alright. 
so we've got Inter, Fiorentina, 4-3, Tierney falls over. Then we've got Zaniolo picks up his first ACL injury against Juventus. So the guy was attempting a coast-to-coast. You remember that play? Then when he's on the his edge of the box... this year? Both of them. They were this year. Jesus. He tore on his ACL twice over the same year. Jesus. And he came back arguably a little too soon and yeah. he got well, injured again. Apparently so. But yeah. on the other knee. So this is my third event. Nicolò Zanolo gets injured against Juventus. And finally, you remember this one. Tottenham Norwich in the FA Cup, which became also oh. very famous for Eric Dyer trying to fight a fan. Then there was a great meme that followed. So basically, <laughs> there was footage of Eric Dyer climbing up the stands to go beat up this fan. And somebody edited the video with him going backwards and the caption said, whenever Tottenham see a trophy. So these are my four events. So Inter Fiorentina 4-3, Kieran Turney trips over himself, Nicolò Zaniolo picks up the first of his two 2020 ACL injuries, and Norwich win against Tottenham in the FA Cup after penalties. What are you thinking, Rory? Okay, so I'm going to give the listeners a few seconds to think, filling music, this is also time for me to think. Okay, good, right. I'm going to go for... The first event is Yolo injuring himself. Right. Second event, I'm going to say Dyer against Norwich. Right. Third event is Inter beating Fiorentina. All right. And the fourth event is Kieran Tierney falling over because that was against Aston Villa, I'm pretty sure. Guess who's gotten good at this game? Yeah! It's Rory Chris Polo. So Zaniolo picked up his first ACL injury against, stop dancing, against Juventus on January 13th, 2020. Tottenham Norwich was on March 4th, 2020, one of the last games with fans in England. Interfering in a 4-3, we're together with Reed. What up, Reed? In Milan, and that was on September 26th. I barely remember that game, but it was a messy one. It yeah. was a messy evening. And then <laughs> Kieran Trips. If you just write Kieran Tierney Trips, the titles are Kieran Tierney hilariously malfunctioned for Arsenal. <laughs> we'll watch Kieran Tierney's hilarious stumble and fall versus Aston Villa. Fans are left baffled. <laughs> All right. But so, we've got one game among these four events, and it's Tottenham Norwich. Do you want to try and pick the lineup I of one of the two teams? Inter Fiorentina, or if you want, Roma Juventus. Oh, which one am I going to be better at? I'm going to say. Inter Fiorentina, you should score a fuck ton of points. Uh, maybe. I like Tottenham, I could easily make a lot of mistakes, but I'm going to go for Tottenham. Tottenham Norwich. Norwich. Oh, no, wait, no, it's the FA Cup. No, wait, no, I'm not. No, I'm going to go for Inter against Fiorentina. All right, let me open up the tab. So, listeners, this was at the end of September. Inter played Fiorentina in a thriller of a game at the San Siro. Inter came out winners 4-3. But who was playing in that match? So, lineup for Fiorentina or for Inter? For Inter. Right, go. So, uh, in goal, Handanovic. Yep. We have, um, at the back, Bastoni. Yep. And Devry. Nope. Oh, he might have been injured, right? Wait, let me see if he came on. Uh, 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 did not come on. Okay, Bastoni. Uh, Barella. Yep. Lukaku. Yep. Martinez. Yep. Ashley Young. Yep. Aliadini. Uh, nope, let me see if he came on, because, you know, with five subs. No, he did not come on, no. so you've got two mistakes. You're at six points with two mistakes. Um, did I say Ashley Young? Yep. 
Um, let's try, oh, would Sensi have been Benoya's injured then? So let's go for, um, let's try, um, oh, I don't know. Um, this is great audio footage. Um, oh, Christ. Sanchez. He scored, right? Sanchez, did he come on? Yes, he did come on. So you're at seven. Seven. Oh, I need two more to equal your score from earlier. So let's go. Who else plays in central midfield? Kozovic. Yup, that's eight. Um, oh, I've only got one more. I think it's a risky shout. No, he's probably gone by that point. So let's say um, Vecino. Vecino has been injured for uh, God knows how much. So you've got eight uh, points plus four. That makes you 12. I am the winner. Uh, yes! Let myself down there. So actually, the Inter lineup was kind of strange. Andanovic, in defense, three men. D'Ambrosio, Bastoni, Kolarov, who hasn't played for a while now. And midfield, Young, Barella, Brozovic, and Perisic. I was going to say Perisic, but I thought he wasn't there by that point. Right. Trequartista. Ericsson? Ericsson. Ericsson, oh shit. And then Lukaku and Martinez up front. Fiorentina lined up with a 3-5-2, just like Inter. So Dragovski, Caceres, Ceccherini, Milenkovic, and then Biragi, Castrovilli, Amrabat, Bonaventura, Chiesa, Ribery, and Kwame. Goals by Lautaro Martinez, own goal by Ceccherini, Lukaku and Ambrosio. And for Fiorentina, Kwame, Castrovilli, and Chiesa. Ribery had an incredible game. Yes, I remember that clearly. I remember that very clearly. And that's a wrap, guys. So, 2020. 2020. Done. So, we cannot really disclose any information, but we can say that there are things to look forward to in 2021. Yeah, I there's some exciting ideas, some exciting link-ups coming our way, hopefully. And here's to a better year next year for everyone involved. I think we'll all be sticking a middle finger up to 2020 at the, as soon as midnight strikes, right? Exactly. So, guys... Us from the Anglican Football Connection, no, from the Anglican Connection Football Very Podcast. Good. Wow, I'm getting confused myself. <laughs> we want to wish you really the happiest of New Year's. We know that this statement is kind of stupid. A year is so long and usually there, there are sad moments, but we wish you that it is at least better than 2020. Yeah. Let's be strong with this lockdown, with these quarantines, with this virus. Maybe we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. But also, let's not complain for being at home because that is an opportunity to listen to the Anglican yeah, pod. Exactly, right? more time to hear our beautiful voices, guys. So you've got no excuse not to listen. Yeah, just what Tommy said. Happy New Year. Everyone's having a beer, at least, or not having it too low-key. And raise a glass for the ones we lost this year and for the promise of next year. That was beautiful. I don't want to add try. anything. Guys, thank you very much for listening once again. Enjoy your New Year's Eve and be careful, responsible, right? Bye, guys. Bye. Love you, everybody.